Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast helps those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashpitz, and Sam Pack returns to the podcast for a record-setting time. And in this conversation, we speak about learning to say no, how to gain focus or refocus. We speak about advice for college students and the best recommendations we've heard for entering the workforce. And in other news, this podcast is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products every single day. So go ahead and click the link in the show notes, scroll through all of their products, and see which ones might work best for you and your wellness needs. Then once you get to checkout, use code EVERYBODY for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 226 of Something for Everybody. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashpitz. Sam. Welcome back. Record-setting moment here on the podcast. You're in the Hall of Fame. We're back for now until Joel's back. You're in the Jackson Talks Everybody slash Something for Everybody Hall of Fame. Record-setting numbers here. You're like Barry Bonds. Happy to be here. Uh, Happy that this honor has been bestowed upon me. You know, it's just it's just goodness all the way around. I specifically like when you're able to be on the podcast because it means that I see you in person in real life. Yeah. So it's a win-win. We always basically just have a conversation about what's going on. The last couple have been some questions that I already had predetermined. Before the last episode, I didn't send you the questions, which wasn't that long ago. This is the shortest break between episodes I think we've ever had. For sure. And this time I did send you the questions so you could mull it over a little bit, have a little time to think about it, make some bullet points, and then flesh them out as we talk about it in real time. So I think this will be a cool episode. If not, listen to the other 12 episodes that Sam and I have done together. It's a cool sort of, um, I don't know, analog of our history of like where our conversations have gone and how they've matured and how we've matured. It's pretty cool uh, evolution of our relationship and the conversations we've had, so... If you care about that, check it out. If you don't and you're a first-time listener and you're new to this or new to the pod or new to Sam, buckle up. It's going to be awesome. Hopefully, you learn some valuable insights that maybe you also share or can implement into your life. But before we get into the actual questions, Sam, very important question, as you know. How are you doing? Like, really, how are you doing? I'm doing good. You know, I feel like every time we talk, I'm about to do something different. For sure. That's why you just make a pit stop (laughs) here in Dallas. And so this answer is probably going to sound very similar. I didn't go back and listen to what I said previously when I've had big things coming up. Right. But it's very similar, you know, big transition in my life. Uh, Moving on to a different place, different location, different job. Underneath kind of the same umbrella banner that I've been flying under for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very anxious to get started. And I've been kind of in this waiting period for the last couple months trying to get things lined up, trying to get myself educated and get smart before I get there. But now we're at, now we're at the time and, you know, the next, the next couple of weeks are going to be very exciting and there's going to be a lot of learning to happen and I'm ready just to get started because the waiting period is awful. It's always tough. How do you think about like nerves 
excitement and anxiety, are they all sort of like in the same boat for you or do they have different feelings? They're all in the same boat because it's all, it's all a product of, I think three things like how much do I have to do? How much do, how many unknowns are out there mm. and how much time do I have to do those things or figure those things out? And the answers to each one of those individual questions kind of determines the next steps. Mm. Because if there's a bunch of unknowns, that kind of raises my, I'm either asking somebody a million questions or I'm trying to figure out those questions on my own and trying to figure out the answers to them. If it's just a bunch of stuff to get done, then it becomes like a checklist of things. And I think we get into this in one of your questions. Uh, it becomes, what can I do right now to influence the future? Yeah. And then time is the biggest one, whether it's how much time do I have to get all these things done or how much time do I have to wait until I figure out the answers to those unknowns. And those, the answers of those, those three questions kind of determine my anxiety level. Mm. Yeah, all three are, are heightened states of arousal. Um, and you know what you say to yourself in those moments, what direct action you can take in those moments sort of determines whether or not you can use that heightened state of arousal as, as fuel. And it also tells you for the most part, except for anxiety at sometimes, because anxiety really is an intense worry about the future. It could be something that you're anticipating and excited for that could be coming up, or you could just be worrying about something that might never happen. But nerves and excitement are usually something that you care about. That's why you feel them the way you feel, like whether you're about to give a presentation or play in a baseball game or, you know, um, move across the fucking universe. Um so they all could, they all have some similar tools that to use to be able to not let it like overwhelm you completely. But yeah, for the most part, I, I put them in the same boat. I always, I always move nerves to excitement. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit of both. Like it, it waxes between, between the two because in from moment to moment, because on the one hand, like being very excited about, you know, these new opportunities that are coming up, these new challenges that I'm going to face in how I'm going to use my skill set to kind of solve some of the problems that other people may have that maybe I have like a specific skill that I can provide to walks hand in hand with, Hey, these are going to be brand new things. You got to learn very quickly, right? You're going to have to provide and add value very quickly. You got to learn fast. Mm -hmm. And so, the the answer to one and the excitement you feel on the one hand is is measured out and balanced on the other end yeah with some like okay in order to provide that value and be excited about the opportunities that you're going to get there's certain things that you have to do on the front end mm. there's certain things you have to do very quickly to kind of make sure that that excitement pays off in the end right so there's yeah it it it's a it's a scale and it bounces back and forth Yeah, from moment to moment. That's very true. It's very true. All right, ready to get into this? Let's do it. Okay, question number one. What advice would you give to a smart, driven college student about to enter the real world? What advice should they ignore? We'll start with part one. Part one. And I think 
this this plays for pretty much everybody. I can think of very few, if any, jobs where you don't have to interact with people. And the advice would be that understand that people are people no matter where you go. Mm-hmm. Like whether you're in a work environment where there's kind of like these artificial boundaries, whether you're split up by team, department, section, whatever, like at a certain point, you're going to have to work across someone. You're going to have to work into another group, Mm -hmm. right? And how those people feel about you, positively or negatively, is going to impact how much they're willing to help. Uh, So understanding that like small things like, hey, I'm just running the convenience store. You want anything? Right. Somebody you rarely work with at all will impact how they feel about you. And there's going to come a day when you do have to work across a team, across a department with somebody else, that little act, even if they said no, they're going to be like, okay, he was willing to help back then. Or he was willing to grab me a drink or grab me a coffee or something like that is going to ease your way into getting some of those things done. Mm -hmm. So don't take for granted the fact that people are people regardless. They are prone to bias. They are prone to think highly of you for maybe a small reason. They're prone to think negatively of you for a small reason as well. So make sure you understand that going in. Don't burn any bridges because at a certain point, you are going to have to interact with people who you don't normally work with who aren't a part of your team. Mm -hmm. And they can be a huge help or a huge hindrance to you being able to get the things done that you need to get done. So that's number one. So basically to sum it up, it's, it's care about relationships. Yeah. Foster through like tiny little actions. You can, you can foster things that you won't know what, how they're going to pay off in the long run, but they likely will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that is specifically important for all young people currently. Agreed. Like how to, because my answer is basically the same, so I'm just going to parlay off you here. Perfect. Is, is basically, the, is, is learn how to listen. That's part of building relationships. Learn how to communicate effectively what you need and what you want and when to say those things. There's also a time where we should keep our mouths shut. Because if you are just coming out of university and, and the current state of our universities is not in a good light, so someone may see you in a certain way, which may not be the person that you are. But again, like you said, there are biases that come with everything. We're human beings, we just have them. We may have saw something on the internet, Twitter, like two seconds before you walked in the room to interview you. And that may completely alter the way we view you. So you just have to, you have to work with that and you have to be able to listen and empathize and understand. Um, Stephen Covey, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, mm-hmm. has this analogy about the emotional bank account. And so if you're building, if, if Sam and I are building a relationship, which we have over the last, since 2013, we have invested so much in that relationship that if I were to, let's say we were supposed to, like we live close by and I was supposed to meet you for dinner. And I said, Sam, last minute, I can't make it. I can, I can make that withdrawal yeah. because I have so much invested in that relationship that you believe me, you trust me, you know me, you're like, okay, something came up, he'll tell me about it later, like gets canceled. But if I'm repeatedly late all the time and I'm not a man of my word, then I do that to you, you're like, 
fucking same old fucking shit. Like I don't have enough money in my account to make that withdrawal. I'm already fucking negative. And so the emotional bank account is a good analogy just to invest. Like you're saying, one cent every day. Like asking someone, hey, I'm about to run and get coffee across the hall. Would you like any? That's like a two cent investment. But yeah. like if it compounds and aggregates over the whole year, that that's money. Like would you rather be given $10 million right now or one penny that doubles every single day for the rest of your life? Yeah. Like that's a simple answer. Like most people will be like, I want 10 million right now. Do you know how much a penny can double every single day over the rest of your life? Like that's a, that's a lot of money. And so that's what I think like everyone can think about. It's not just for a college student, but they're less likely to think about that than an older generation who had to do more relationship building than not. And so I think being able to explore that idea outside of your phone um, is important because no matter how many robots and AI machines there are, like it's still going to come down to human interaction. You still have to meet and we still have to mate to make babies and yep. to extend the human race, right? Those things still have to happen. Now, when I, we're probably far dead and gone, maybe that's not the case anymore, but that won't be for me to know. My, all my businesses are run on relationships. Yeah. Like if people don't like me or don't trust me, I'm not getting a job. I'm not getting a speaking booking. People aren't coming on the podcast. I'm not getting a coaching client. Kids don't want to play on my team. Like all of those things are based on relationships. So that's like fucking number one, 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 one. Yeah. All right. 100%. The first thing that you need, the first thing that anybody can kind of invest in is just getting to know other people. You're not going to know everything you need to know about the job mm -mm. the second you step there. But the thing you can know is that there are people around here who are going to help me get things done in the future. So I need to kind of get myself a little bit in the positive as far as that emotional yeah. investment goes. People, people like being asked for help. Like, yeah. they, cause it, 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 one, even if you believe it or not, it makes them believe that they think that, wait, that they know more than you. Yeah. Which gives people a, a sort of an ego boost that they need. Like, oh, this person's coming to me because I fucking know all this shit about Microsoft Excel. Let's go. Like, great. Like, maybe you don't or do, but I do it all the time when I go to showcases and there's other coaches around and there's a strength and conditioning coach and there's a, a physical therapist and there's a scout and all these stuff. Like, I may know a little bits and pieces about all this stuff, but they're experts in this area. So I'm going to ask, like, the most boring, straightforward question because he's going to give me a really insightful answer that I didn't think about. And maybe that relationship doesn't go anywhere, but it's at least going to show that I'm interested in what he does and it's a value to me. And you want to actually be honest and truthful in that, like not try to fake it. Like, but there's still a potential positive from faking it, but it's going to catch up to you when people realize that you're not being authentic. Yeah. And then, and then you're in a whole different pile of bones. But anyways, so like asking people questions about that puts an emotional bank account. Oh, like that dude was like really inquisitive and he asked a lot of questions and he wanted my help and I showed him this so we could do it. He could do it the right way that we do it here at this company or this organization and part of the culture we work into about helping people and community and like all that stuff that's really important. And you can be the one that sort of initiates that as, as a newbie. And then what, you know, he could that person could potentially want to take you out for lunch or coffee or show you some extra stuff that could potentially boost your standing and the, whatever it is. Right? There's so many things that could potentially happen based on this one interaction. Again, nothing could happen, but like you still got the information you needed and there was a positive 
a conversation with another human being. Like that's a win. Yeah. So that's what I think. Yeah. My, my dad told me a long time ago, like people love, love to tell you about what they know. <laughs> that's true. I mean, and I think, and, yeah. and that's, it's, this goes beyond just like the workforce, like yeah, relationships in general, going out on dates, like people will talk all the live long day about things that they're excited about or things that they're upset about or things they're interested in. So targeted questioning when it comes to stuff like that can yield a litany of information about a, a person. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so that was my first answer. And I think the second slash third one we can get into with what advice should you ignore? Mm. So as far as advice to ignore, I don't know if anybody has ever given this as a piece of advice, but it's definitely something that people think. And that is that whatever the boss wants, the boss gets. I believe that is true to a point because nobody's going to know more about the problem than the lower level people who are dealing with it every day. Sometimes the boss has an idea of what, how he wants things to turn out, but doesn't have an idea on the requirements that it's going to take to get there. Mm -hmm. So the, the piece of advice that I would give in ignoring this is figure out what the boss's why is like, what are you trying to accomplish with whatever we may be doing because they may think they want it a certain way and they think this certain way is how they get to what they want. But maybe you as the lower level individual, like, no, 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 no. I, I understand. I see what you're trying to get to. This is how we get there. This is an e easier way to get there, more efficient way to get there, more cost effective way to get there. This is how we meet that end goal that you have. And, Caveat that with another piece of advice. Whenever you are telling the boss no, present them with options. Mm. Don't just say, no, I can't do that. It's no, I can't do that. Here's how, based on what I understand your end goal to be, here's the ways that we could potentially get there. Mm. And then it becomes their decision. You're like, hey, here's options one, two, three. Here's how I think we meet that end goal. I'll leave it up to you on how you want to, how you want to slice this. Don't just say, don't just say no flat, flat out. Present them with those options and then put the onus on them. Now they have a better understanding of some of the requirements that you have as that lower level individual who's working like on the ground floor. Mm -hmm. And you empower them to kind of make the choice more informed than they were previously. So now they, they, they understand that, hey, you're going to push back if things don't make sense, which they, they like, to be honest with you. Not, as long as you're not pushing back every time, they like somebody that is thinking for themselves. Yep. You need to understand how your boss thinks, but you don't necessarily need to think like them at all times. You need to understand what they care about, but still be an individual, still think for yourself, and then present them with the, the best option that you see as well as some others and let them make that call. Mm. Yeah. That's really sound uh, advice. I think for, especially for young people who are entering their first job, they get a little, there's, there's a bit of fear about it. 
Sure. You know, because this is my first job. I don't want to step on any toes. Um, so some of the advice you gave in there was good. Like, don't just say it's bad. Say how you can fix it. Um, I think that's really important. Um, yeah, if, if it's like a good, if he's like a good, solid leader, then yes, he, he definitely wants to hear why things aren't going well from your perspective if you're the one actually dealing with the day-to-day thing that's not good. If they're an actual leader, then that real leader like Jocko talks about all the time will take responsibility and ownership of that and then give you the tools to try and help you fix it because you're the one who came with the, him to the problem and helped him fix it all together. So it should work like that. I mean, you might not run into every boss you have will not probably not be the best sort of leader. Sure. But you can still learn a lot by doing that and by standing up on your own two feet and saying, this is what I'm dealing with. Here's what I think we could do about it. Um, what do you think? I mean, it's basically sums up, you know, building a relationship. Yeah, especially like as long as you haven't like sullied your relationship and your reputation early on, right. they are going to view that and be like, okay, I can trust this person to look at how I want it to end up and think through the problem and not just go with whatever I say, because that may not be the best option. They're an individual thinker who's going to seriously look at the problem, see how we can figure it out, and then present, at minimum, present me with options, if not just execute mm-hmm. and be like, I got it. And they'll, you're good, so you're going to gain some trust from those people above you by having that sort of mentality and thinking on your own, thinking through the problem, thinking through how, where they want the group to get. So they are going to empower you more and more with, likely more responsibility because of that, because they know that you can handle it and that you're not just going to wait for somebody to tell you what to do all the time or just say no all the time. You are providing them all these options on how you can get it done. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. uh, My answer for that would be like, People are probably going to give you a lot of advice from a lot of different directions, especially if you're brand new. So make sure you you receive all of that information and take some time to reflect upon it and see which one is best for you. And usually you want to take advice from people who are in the position you aim to be in. Um, now, some people who are at a lateral than you and some people who are potentially underneath you have good advice, potentially. Yeah. Right. So that's why it's important to take all of it, sort of be like a sponge and then have some time to reflect out which ones like work best for you. It's the same way as being an athlete. You're going to be around a, a lot of different coaches. Some of them are going to say things that don't resonate, that do resonate. You got to pick those ones, put them in your repertoire and be like, this is what makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, and so you want to do the same thing as someone who's uh, entering the workforce. All right, number two. Number what two. are some bad recommendations you hear in your profession or area of expertise? So, I, again, I don't know if this is something I've ever heard come out of someone's mouth <laughs> as a recommendation, but I see it in the way some people do their jobs. Mm. They, get, they get bounded inside of this invisible box that is their job. Yeah. And don't look laterally at the other people doing something similar around them or look up to see like, okay, where does my job fit into the higher structure of 
whatever the organization, the group, the company is trying to achieve. So the recommendation there would be like, hey, I need an understanding of the overall picture. I need to know what it looks like right now. I need to know where we're trying to get to. And I need to understand the role, not only of my group, but of the groups kind of left and right of me on how we're going to achieve that. Because the amount of times that I have like come across a resource that, hey, it doesn't, it's not really pertinent to my job or what I'm doing, but I know it helps the organization and I know who to send it to. This resource, I need to send it over to these people because they could really use it and it helps the whole organization get to where we're supposed to be getting to. So don't get, don't get bounded inside this. It's, it's made up. It's a made up box that people put themselves in and be like, I'm, this is my job. This is all I focus on. I don't, I don't deviate from this when like me knowing more about what you do sitting a couple cubicles over, how does that make me worse at my job? I think it makes me better because mm-hmm. now like if you have a client, Hey, I don't have time for, but I, Hey, I know a guy and I bounce him over to you. Right. So rising tide raises all ships, that sort of analogy. Yep. I totally agree. I mean, the last time you were in town, I brought you out to my team to work with my catchers. Yep. Now I could have just gone inside and bullshitted yeah. because I don't know what you're doing. Like I know the basics of how to catch a baseball, but you're the catching expert. I'm not, didn't play that position. I catch bullpens now, but my fucking thumbs get blown out. <laughs> right. But I wanted to watch what you did. So potentially I could reiterate those exact same things to my players if they needed it to be reiterated. Um, that's just learning a little bit more about catching so that if I work with someone who's a younger person, like 9, 10, 11, 12, that information still holds. Yeah. Now when they get to be pretty elite, then I, I send them away to someone who can do something better for them. I said, this is where you need private lessons. So trying to be well-rounded enough to give some sound advice, but also knowing where your expertise ends. Like the smartest people in the world that I know are really good at saying, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like I got, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I'm, I'm good with saying that. Like I don't know the answer, but I can try and figure it out or I can find someone who knows it or I can like research it for a couple of days and then give you a, a proper answer or we can do that together because I think that's cool. So, yeah. Yeah, I think the baseball kind of analogy here is the way that I kind of figured out how to how to word this. Because like on the field being a catcher, especially like cuts and relays type stuff. Oh yeah. You as the first baseman, I'm not saying you only did this, but you as the first baseman knew where you were supposed to be. I only have one or two jobs. I'm either trailing or I'm 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 basically sinking in. Yeah. That's it. So you understood what your piece of the pie was. Uh And if that's all you knew and you were in the right spot all the time, that's all I needed you for. As the catcher, I am watching everything kind of unfolding and I have to know where everybody's supposed to be because if I tell you cut three, but the third baseman's not there, then it's it's on me. Right. So I had to understand where everybody was going what they were doing there, mm-hmm. what their responsibilities were. 
despite my only job at the end of the day was to direct the ball to where I thought we had the best chance to get somebody out. Right. But knowing the big picture zoomed out away from it being a person probably furthest away from the ball at that point, I saw everything in front of me and then was able to make a decision. In real time. Yeah. 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 Speaking of baseball here, a bad recommendation I hear all the time right now, especially playing baseball in the state of Texas is that you need to play baseball 12 months a year. That's bad. If you think about it like this, there's, there's three things that you can train as a person, your body, your craft, whatever your craft is specifically. Now we're talking about baseball and your mind. You have to have specific time for all three. Now, majority of baseball players will spend the most time on their craft. And I get that because it's a very skill dominated sport. And if you cannot hit field or catch the baseball, you just, the other shit don't matter. Yeah. Right. I don't care how many times you can do a push up or how fast you can run down to first base or how many, whatever, right. If you cannot catch the baseball, throw the baseball, field the baseball or hit the baseball, you are of no value on the baseball team. Correct. Now, once you have that sort of base level of craft down, you have to start divvying out some really solid time to your body and your mind. And so if we're playing baseball 12 years around, I cannot do a one to two month intense uh, strength training program. Now you should be working out 12 months out of the year, but in the midst of a college baseball season or a professional baseball season, it's very hard to get your lifts in. We're playing four days a week. Yeah. And so we're, at that point, we're just maintaining and trying to stay really healthy. But there has to be a dedicated off season where you're just potentially maybe hitting in the cages, maybe doing a little bit of throwing just to keep your arm in shape. Maybe I'm not an arm care specialist, so maybe I'm wrong. But I know that you should be going ham in the weight room because if your body gets stronger, your legs, your hips, your core, your back, that's going to translate on the baseball field. Again, if you have an underlying base level of skill, everything is going to get enhanced. Now, again, you can't do that if you're training 12 months a year or playing games 12 months a year. That's insane. Stupid. Yeah. Why do major leaguers have an off season and then a spring training and then, and then a season so they can work on stuff. And now training your mind can be done all year round, but also there's a time where it needs to be dedicated as well. That's before your season, right? So you can get your level of routine and process and systems in place. So in the midst of the season, you just have to revisit those things when things feel a little off. You're like, okay, this is where my routine is. I'm going to visit it back. I'm going to rehash it. Just like I need to take a few more swings off the tee to get my my hand in the right place or whatever, because I feel a little off in the game. Same with your mind. And so there has to be dedicated areas for your body, your craft, and your mind. And if you're playing baseball 12 months a year, you're never going to be able to dedicate enough time for that. And you might be really good at your craft and you might be really good at playing the game of baseball, but you're going to reach a certain point where you're just not going to be elevated enough, where you can't hit the ball as far as you think you can. Your swing is perfect. Everything is launched right. Angle's good, but you don't have any fucking juice in your ass. Yeah. You haven't done a squat yet. You had no fucking <laughs> pump, you know? And then eventually when everyone becomes the same skill level as you and you're wondering why you don't have the advantage anymore, it's because you don't have the mental edge. You don't have the dog in you. You don't have the fight. You don't have the routine. You don't have the process. You don't know how to handle a game where you strike out four times and you got to show up the fucking next day. You got to show up the next day, but you, you don't know it. how. You're like, coach, I'm, I'm, uh, I got a sore throat. 
I can't, I can't go today. Why? Because you fucking Kate up four times yesterday. You look like a fucking joke. I've been there. I've been there. We saw Dallas Garcia's do it in the World Series. Yeah. He looked like he didn't know what baseball was. <laughs> and then in his fifth at bat, he dropped a bomb because he stayed in the game. Because he has a routine. He has a process. He figured it out. Sometimes we just can't hit the ball. Sometimes we just can't figure it out. That's a whole analogy for life. Sometimes things are just not going to go our way. But if we haven't trained other parts and dedicated enough time for those areas, we're not going to be able to pull ourselves back up. So if you're just grind 12 months out of the year playing baseball games, which you essentially can in Texas, because like we have two days where it's like under 30 degrees yeah. and everything else, you could probably go outside. That doesn't mean you should do it. And so that's a really bad recommendation that I hear all of the time coaching youth baseball now. And I'm doing my best to, uh, to just reverse that and say, let's just do this here, focus on this here, this, this. So who knows if it'll change or not, but anyone who's a ball player listening to this, you should take that advice because getting stronger, faster, more agile, and more mentally tough is never a bad decision. I just don't understand why that would be a bad choice. And how many people have you, have you met whose playing careers ended and then they took on some sort of coaching role. And then they realized like, wow, I did not appreciate, like I learned a lot when I was done playing that I didn't know when I was playing. Mm -hmm. There are countless stories that I've talked to people who became coaches and they started to understand like these little intricacies of the game. And they started to really pay attention to like some of the subtleties and some of the things that are a little bit behind the curtain, if mm -hmm. you're not, if you're in the game and you're sucked into like the things that are happening in the ball moving around and things like that, you don't appreciate until you zoom out into some sort of coaching role. And then you see, okay, like base running is the thing that I go to all the time because I did not, I started to pick up on like tendencies from pitchers mm -hmm. really late in my career. And I think the only reason I did that is because I caught. So I watched bullpens constantly. And then going into coaching, coaching first base and just being immersed in watching this guy throw from the same position. And always mm -hmm. you start to see these little things to pick up and then like communicating that to the athletes that I was coaching. It's like now they're taking that throughout their careers, right. the rest of their careers, looking for those types of things when like, th this is stuff I barely noticed during my playing days. And now I can hand it to these kids as, you know, freshmen, sophomores in college to take on, granted, most of them are probably going to finish out their college career and be done. Sure. But being able to communicate to that, that to kids earlier on so that they don't have to learn the same hard lessons. But for the athletes themselves, being able to zoom out and just and watch a game for the purpose of like learning, you can do. Um, you don't have to don't have to be in the game. Uh, don't get me wrong. In game learning, hard to hard to replace. Yeah, you have to learn through experience for sure. Yeah, definitely hard to replace, but. The, you will pick up on these little more nuanced pieces of the, of the game by just zooming out a little bit and focusing on some of the detail that goes into the sport itself. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're 
let's say you're a college athlete early in their career, so you're you're sitting more than you're playing. Mm-hmm. Like there's tons of stuff you can learn by watching the game, especially if you're playing. You know, especially if the guy in front of you is a little bit better, especially the team you're playing is a little bit better. Like watch how they move, watch how they take their leads, watch how they set up for batters, watch how they move for different counts and different situations. You know, watch what they're looking at for tendencies or their timing or all of these things that you could pick up that it's hard to look at, again, when you're in the trenches. But when you have this bird's eye view and you're actually paying attention to the game instead of, you know, finger popping each other's assholes in the fucking on the bench, which is fun to hang with your boys. I'm not saying don't do that. You yeah. should have fun. But there also is a time where you can start to pay attention because if you do want to be a dude, you have to play like the guys who are better than you. You have to reach yeah. that level of baseball IQ that level of consistency. So what are they doing? How are they making those things happen? You know, how's the senior who's been a starter since he was a freshman at your school, how's he prepare for a baseball game? How's he get up and go? What's his routine look like? What does he focus on when he's in the cage in his first two rounds? He's trying to hit dingers or is he just like hands through the ball trying to pop the other way? And then the last round he lets it go because he knows that's how he's going to swing in the game. Like what is he doing like that? And if you can't tell me that as a guy who doesn't play very often, you're just not paying attention enough. And you don't really care about being on the field. You may tell me like, oh, coach, I really want to play, but I'm watching you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at you because you keep telling me that you want to be on the field and you deserve a shot. But everything that you do tells me no. Every round you take in the cage is fucking pull happy. You're not working on anything. You're not taking your ground ball seriously when you're shagging, right? You're not communicating with your teammates. You're not, you're not popping out of the dugout when we score a run. Like there's all these things that you think coaches can't notice because they have so much shit going on, but they're fucking locked in on you. <laughs> they are locked in on you. And you keep saying things that aren't lining up with your actions. And that's a big deal. And so... That's important for sort of any position you want to be in in life. We just relate it to baseball because that's what we know. Um, so that's also very important. Yeah, I used to used to tell my players all the time, like, you are being evaluated every day. Like, every second of every day that I we are on the field or you are in the cages, you are being evaluated. I'm going to see the guys. We were watching. Uh, I was watching your, your 9U practice mm-hmm. yesterday. You think I didn't spot the three kids who didn't help pick up balls on the tee? You think I didn't notice that? And I'm not even their coach. I asked them. This was before. This was the kids who were just with Kirby's group. And he's like, yeah, whenever you were in the cages, and he's like, yeah, whenever this kid ends and they're switching over, you guys hurry up and go grab those balls. Two kids immediately popped over, grabbed every baseball, and three of them are just standing there. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay. Not they're not my players, but just that coaching mentality. I'm gonna little notice. things you pick up. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. It's hard to turn off once you've once you've been that guy. And for anybody out there, college on down, there are so many things that you can do from the dugout to be in the game, mm-hmm. like high school. Any high school kid who may be watching this, if you are not playing, wait for a guy to get on first base. Wait for the pitcher to get in like a, a negative count. So two o three one. There's going to be a specific pitch he goes to, and there's going to be a timing that he has on his on his hold. If you guys use UCLA, mm-hmm. I don't know what you use. Yep. But there's going to be a specific timing that he uses to be in his most natural state. 
to deliver a good pitch that is probably going to remain consistent the entire time that that kid is pitching. Anytime he gets in a pressure count with somebody on base, they are going to default to where they feel most comfortable. And those are things I used to, I used to task the guys in the dugout with documenting. So I would obviously be paying attention to it. Right. But I would have them with, with a clipboard making notes on this. And then every time I come back in the dugout, we would kind of cross-reference because I would have in my head what he was at. Okay, the players had him on like a late C, early L. Mm-hmm. That Yep, that's what I had too. So the next time we get somebody who can run. We're on the move. And we got a pressure count. I don't care if he's throwing a fastball. I know what his timing is. Right. He's not thinking about this. He's thinking about not going 3-0. Mm-hmm. We'll swipe second. Now he's in even a bigger problem. Or guy gets a pitch to hit. We're on the move. We're scoring potentially instead on, of getting held up at third. Yeah, potentially first and third, potentially scoring run if it's in the gap or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean, all those all those little things are big deals. Huge, 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 huge. And you can start to pick up those subtleties. You just become that much of a better baseball player. Like, even if you're not fast, you can still be a good base runner. 100%. Like, you can still swipe bags. You can still swipe bags. Like, I learned that late in my, I learned that when I, my career was over. <laughs> like, because I, I just never, can, I was never a fat, I mean, I ran a 6'9", 60. Like, it's not yeah, slow by any slow. means. Like, I could have taken extra bags, but in my mind, I was a slow base runner and I didn't need to move fast. Yeah. And I handicapped myself because I would, you know, and so that's a, that's a mindset that you have to reframe if you're a guy who's my size with my speed. Um, cause like stealing third base is really not hard. No. If you have, if you have some rhythm and some momentum. So if you're someone like me who did hit a lot of doubles, I hit more doubles than I hit home runs. So I was on second base a lot, like probably could have swiped third a little bit. Like, so you just got to think about that. Don't, don't handicap yourself because you think you're a slow runner because you don't run a six, four sixty. But if you run anything under a seven, it's pretty good. Even if you're a seven one, it's not bad. You can still get moving. You can still get the appropriate jump. You can still get a really aggressive secondary and potentially still score on some base hits and stuff like that. Cause not every outfield arm has a fucking butt hose, right? Yeah. No one's throwing 95 from the outfield all the time. Like some dudes will, and you, you're going to know that before the game. So you're just not going to run. But yeah. so, so those little subtleties are really important and take those with you wherever you're at and put that in your repertoire of how you can be better and gain the advantage and gain the edge. Mentally, physically, emotionally, whatever it is, it's, it's quite cool. And that's why baseball is all about cheating. Yeah, it is. But cheating in a way that's legit and about tactics. Like when you start using drums and all that other stuff. Yeah. And it gets you, a little out there. You know, but whatever. Like the whole point of baseball is to gain an advantage. It's sort of like this game of undertone of cheating. Cheating in a way that's like, I'm going to be outsmart you in these little ways. Yeah. I'm going to, yeah, it's, it's about tactical advantages that you're trying to create because like you in a straight up foot race with a guy who runs a six, four you're going to get blown out of the water. Right. But if you get a jump before he does, it's going to be a race. Might have a chance. Might have a chance. If I, if I know that the pitcher goes on C and that fast guy has no clue. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm right there. You know, he still might get me Yeah. because he's got, he's fast and he's got good reactions, but Gives myself a chance. Yeah, give yourself a chance to have a chance. Right. All right, number three. In the last five years, what have you become better at saying no to? Distractions, imitations, et cetera. What new realizations and or approaches helped any other tips? So, 
going off my previous statement with kind of being willing to help people in whatever way that looks like. Somebody comes over to my section with a question previously because I knew like relationships with people mattered so much. I would at times help them to my own detriment. Mm. Like, there are things that I need to be doing and I would get kind of sucked into their problem a little too much. Yeah. So balancing out helping people for this, not only for like the, the relationships part of it, but just helping people because it's kind of my job. Like I have answers that maybe you don't mm-hmm. or I know who you should talk to instead of just saying, hey, here's the person you need to talk to. Let me get them on the phone real quick and then you can talk to them about their problems. I would have the whole conversation mm-hmm. and then hand them over when I could have very easily just, hey, I'm going to put you in touch with the right person. They've already kind of talked back to me saying that they're, they're willing to help. They're on the phone right now. Here you go. I would take on a little bit too much of their weight at the expense of my own. So I've become a lot better at balancing those things and knowing when I need to prioritize my stuff ahead of them while still helping them out. So that is one of the big things. The other thing I have, and these are all things I've had to say no to myself. Mm. And the other one is I've gotten better at allowing my people the opportunity to fail. Mm. Previously, the people who worked under me at like the first sign of them kind of going off of what my expectation was, I would jump in and and be like, try to hold their hand and be like, no, just change that, change this, change that. This is how I want it to look. Now I've kind of let go of that a little bit. Once they prove that they kind of know what to expect out of me, kind of letting them steer the ship a little bit and then waiting for them to get done and, doing the refinement at that point so that they aren't constantly waiting for me to just fix it. Mm. And they are allowed to be that individual mind, like I talked about earlier, and be creative and try to solve some of these problems on their own. And then once it gets to me, they I'll, I'll give them the opportunity to defend why they did something this way as opposed to this way or provide those things early on. That way, when they're building things in the future, they have like a solid conversation that we had to look back on and be like, okay, I tried to do it this way last time. Here's why he wants it this way and not that way. It maybe was a little confusing. Maybe it didn't paint the right picture that we were trying to create as opposed to just do it this way. Mm. So that, yeah. So yeah, it's all, internal stuff yeah i i've i've worked pretty hard to learn how to say no in the last couple years um because for a long time i was like just easily convinced like just do whatever yeah you know, that was, all, for one, I, I always, I just wanted to have fun. Like, I felt like I didn't have a lot of fun getting in, like, before college. And then I got into college, like, I was like, yeah, let's fucking do it all. Let's do everything. <laughs> and then I got into pro wrestling, and that's a crazy world. Where I, you I just, just, you know, whatever. It doesn't need to be hashed out, sort of, the stuff that we did. But I wanted, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be part of the boys, you know. I wanted people to like me. I wanted people to think I was cool. 
So I just said yes to everything, uh, pretty much. Uh, but then over the last couple of years, I've really got very clear on, you know, the direction I want my life to go and the values that I want to live by and the person that I want to be. So I've had to work at saying no to things like I don't want to do. Hey, Aaron, do you want to, you know, go to dinner tonight? What time? Mm, not really. It's a little too late for me. Like my sleep is important. And not to say I don't have any fun anymore. I have a ton of fun, but I'm more aligned with like how I want to feel when I wake up in the morning and the things I want to get done and the priorities that I have and what's most important to me. So basically being able to track what is most important to me and making decisions based off that and saying no to things that I don't want to do, um, you know, and making sure that I get home with enough time to get some sleep and all of that stuff. Um, saying no to an alcoholic beverage if I don't want to have one, not feeling like I need to have one because everyone is around me is having one, mm -hmm. but saying yes to have one because I had one with you last night and I enjoyed it. It was nice. I like having some whiskey and getting to the place where I can do that and enjoy it is nice. So that has been sort of my new approach. So my tip for anyone else who's sort of feel that way is um, get really clear, get really clear on what you want, what values you want to live by and who you want to do it with. And then everything else around you can be, can be no. Um, and I was listening to a podcast uh, called Modern Wisdom. This guy named Chris Williamson. Mm -hmm. And like over the last like, you know, 18 months, his podcast has basically skyrocketed into the top like zero, zero, zero point one percent of all podcasts. And he talked about something that's very interesting that no one really talks about when you reach that level of notoriety is how to say no. How to say no to all of the opportunities that you wished people would have asked you <laughs> when you were doing episode 200. And so like, I feel like I'm, I'm heading in that direction with this podcast because I'm gonna do it for as long as I possibly can. And at some point, you know, millions of people are gonna listen to it. And what opportunities are going to be asked of me that are fucking really cool, <laughs> but don't align with what I want to do because I have to keep the main thing, the main thing. Exactly. And so if people ask me now to do those things, I'm yes all day, right? Because it, it just increases, like it goes a little bit against my values thing that I'm talking about, but it just increases the, the scope of my podcast. And I have enough time and space to do it now where it doesn't hurt anything, but in 400 episodes from now, when someone offers me this or that or this promotion, or can we sponsor this podcast and I don't even use the product, like I can't say no to that. That, that goes against me. So if I do an ad, which I don't do on this podcast, and I'm trying to not do them as long as humanly possible. So if you do want to support the podcast, do it on Patreon so that we can remain ad-free forever. But I will endorse products on this podcast like i do if you click the link in the show notes that i actually use every single day like this this drink like i literally this is the only energy drink that i have and so um but at some point like i don't know what's gonna happen right and so i don't know how to i'm trying to get good at saying no to those things now even though they're super shiny yeah super shiny and chris said, says it in a really cool way like no one teaches you that mm -hmm. like no one teaches taught me that when i got a million subscribers on youtube that I would have to say no to everything that's so fucking cool. Um, and I get that. And that, that makes sense for, for anyone who has like large following or is like quote unquote famous. That's a stupid word, but whatever. You get my point. 
So I also think about that downstream um, with my podcast and with you know the stuff that I'm doing to be able to handle that a little bit better when someone's like, hey, we'll give you $100,000 if you promote this product on your podcast. And it's like the least closest thing to what I'm trying to talk about. And I'm like, oh, that's a $100,000 for a 60 second ad. Yeah. But I can't, I can't fall to that because that doesn't, that, that can't align. So if not, if I'm not crystal clear now, that shiny object will be, I'll just grab it all. Yeah. And then I'll lose my, my loyal listener base. Cause they're like, dude, Aaron, your podcast is so far removed <laughs> from what we originally thought when we were listening to you and Sam on episode, you know, 226. Now it's episode 700 and you're just like everyone else. Just me undies ads all the time. <laughs> right. Like fucking Tampax or whatever. Like, I don't know. Um, so that, I think about that a lot. So yeah. Yeah. We're not really, not really educated on how to handle success. Mm -mm. No, no, no. Like the young athletes who, get $30 million or the NIL yeah. athletes right now are getting paid 2 million. Like, is there any education on, on them? Like what they should do with their money, how they should approach it. You know, do they have someone they actually trust or they have some dude who's just trying to make money off them? Like, is there education around that? Because there needs to be, because this is real people. Like we've already seen a couple NIL athletes who came out of high school who were like very highly touted and they, they just fell apart because like, like the pressure is too much for an 18 year old kid. Are we teaching them these things? Are we taking care of them physically, emotionally, spiritually? Or we're just trying to make a fucking dollar off them, you know? And then how are we teaching them how to invest in their money so they can have long-term wealth? So even if their career is only three or four years and they are able to make 5 million, how can they turn that into a lifelong success, right? Instead of all these other stories that we hear about, but we see people as transactional and as commodities rather than real human beings with like intrinsic value. So that's also an issue, but that's a different conversation for the sports world. But yeah, but uh, it was cool listening to Chris, you know, talk about that. Cause he like, he went on Joe Rogan last year and then like, again, now his podcast is crazy popular. And it's like, he's like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. People are like, ask me to do book, to book deals. <laughs> and like, how many books do I need to write? And I'm like, <laughs> it's crazy. So, uh, those who can keep like the main thing, the main thing and able to say no to a lot of different stuff. Um, that's really cool. It's really powerful. Yeah. It takes a lot of self-awareness. Ton. A ton. Yeah. You really got it. You really got to be clear on who you are. Yeah. 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 Or else that, <laughs> that check looks real nice. Yeah. It's, what you, I mean, ostensibly, it's what you've been after the whole time. And then having the awareness to be like, okay, I'm not either that doesn't align or, hey, maybe I'm not ready for that step yet. Mm, yeah, that's true too. That's because you could, you could go too far too fast and then you're not prepared for it. And then people kind of write you off. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the that was always the downfall of sort of the, the, the one viral content, the one hit wonder. It's like, if that one thing you do goes nuts, you're then expected to reach that same level every time. But if you have a consistent stream of just really good shit, 
and this one pops off just a little bit more than the others, people are going to go look at your catalog and be like, oh, this dude's been crushing it for a while. Yeah. Like this episode just happened to get in the, the universe and people just like were sharing it, but he's done a thousand episodes. So like this makes sense and you can go back and listen to everything he's ever said and like he's pretty clear on and true on his word and like, like, like Joe Rogan, for example, like that dude has just been doing it for a long time. Yeah. And you can look at every single one of his episodes and how he matures and grows and transforms and like, but still say, ma like maintains this like core presence of who he is. And like, that's really admirable because he's got the <laughs> most listened to podcast in the whole yeah. planet. Like, like people are listening to that dude, like 60 million people are listening to that dude every time he talks. That's a lot of people. And so it's cool to see people like that, you know, lead the way in terms of like podcasting and stuff like that. Um, but anyways. Yeah. Somebody who definitely had to earn their stripes. Like granted, he was famous from other things, yeah, but yeah. in the podcasting sense, watching it develop was hard earned. Yeah. Like he's at however many episodes, but you can see if you look back far enough, the work that had to go into it to get to where he is now. Yeah. Just he's like literally publicly making mistakes over and over and over again yeah. and learning out loud and owning up to them and being like, this is just me. Like <laughs> I'm just a guy having a conversation <laughs> with a person. And majority of the time, I don't know anything that they're, I did my research. I know like their main topics, but like they're talking about aliens and physics and stuff that I don't know anything about. I'm trying to just follow the conversation like a normal person would so that you can gain the same information to me is I'm not gonna say the right thing all the time. It's just stream of consciousness coming out of my dome. I don't have a teleprompter behind my guest <laughs> telling me exactly what to say or else it wouldn't be as normal or as funny or as cool or as organic and people would not listen to it because there's tons of podcasts who have everything planned out from start to finish and their editing process is like tedious and really hard and there's no ums or mms or ahs. And I get sometimes as podcasters, we wanna be able to take that away and fix our speech. That's just practice. But like you still want this like normal, organic flow of conversation that seems real and genuine especially because you're in people's brains, like yeah. in their ears, like with them in their life. Like it's no longer about the five people that you spend the most time with. That's also important, but it's about the five podcasts that you listen to most. That's going to tell you the rest of your life. Like obviously the people you hang around with have a huge impact on the trajectory of your life. But like in a real, like today's setting, like the five podcasts that you listen to very important like you listen to mine you listen to rich rolls you listen to tim ferris you listen to joe rogan you listen to tim dylan you listen to some theo vaughn you listen to like okay so you like a mix of like some comedy and some personal development and like very little current events great tells me a lot about you yeah you know you listen to like ben shapiro all the time okay you want a lot of current events and you lean on that side like whatever the case may be is um or you just listen to like a totally huge scope of podcasts where you're just like a huge podcaster, it's like in your like podcast listeners in your all day and you like varying degrees of stuff. Okay, so I see you as like a very curious individual. That's awesome. That's a sick quality. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. I think I just went on a kind of an exciting tangent, but you're excited. But I'm excited. I'm excited. Episode fucking 226, baby. Let's go. Um, anyways, anything anything to add on to that, Sam? No, I think you I think we hit that one pretty concisely yeah in a very long form but we that's what we, this is long form long form conversation baby dug down to the core of it yeah um when you feel over number four 
When you feel overwhelmed or unfocused or have lost your focus temporarily, what do you do? If helpful, what questions do you ask yourself? So this kind of circles back to what we talked about early on with the, with the three things, like how much do I have to do? How many unknowns exist regarding it? And how much time do I have to address it? Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it, how I react definitely varies depending on the answers to those three questions. If it's, I have a lot of stuff to do and not a lot of time to do it, I will back away from the problem for a minute because my brain, my brain runs wild on trying to find the answers to these things and build it all in my head before I build anything else. Yep. I'll back away from the problem. What can I address right now? What can I do in the next 15 minutes, the next two hours, the rest of today that will get us closer to whatever it is we're doing? If there's a lot of unknowns in the time that I have is just kind of spent sitting in it, breathe. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, I personally do the box breathing. Yep. The in for four, hold for four, out for four, limited on air for four to try and slow everything back down. Focus on only that just to quiet my mind a little bit because what people don't consciously realize, I think when they start to get a little overwhelmed or anxious is that your, your breathing starts to keep, tr tries to keep pace with your thoughts. So you're just doing shallow breathing all the time, which just feeds the beast. Mm -hmm. It makes you more anxious. So getting back to where you are in control of it will, will allow everything to slow back down, will allow you to prioritize the things that you can do in that moment or in that day to to get after whatever whatever it may be that has you feeling overwhelmed whether that's problem solving whether that's a difficult conversation you're gonna have to have any of those things just being able to control your breathing will help you manage the flow of the thoughts and help you manage the anxiousness or the feeling of being overwhelmed yep money you heard me talk about this earlier when i was doing my chat but i call it the flip the switch method it's basically how you can, it's a, basically a, a real-time stress reduction tool. So there's uh, this guy named Brian Kane, who's a mental performance coach. And in the midst of baseball, he talks about this, but everyone can sort of understand that it's recognize, release, refocus. So that's your three-step approach. Or you can think about it as like acceptance or awareness, acceptance, action, right? Awareness and recognition are the same thing. You have to first become aware that you are overwhelmed, feeling a loss of focus, you're feeling anxious. Okay, so I recognize that and I'm aware of that. Now, release and acceptance are sort of the same thing. You have to say, okay, this is, I am feeling this way. It's not a pretend thing. I'm not just imaginarily making it up. I am overwhelmed. I am unfocused. Okay, I accept it. And then the last part is either action or refocus, which is the same thing because refocusing is an action. And the way you do that is what I call flipping the switch. The first step is big body language. So we can be sitting down, you can be at your desk, but just remind yourself to have good posture, to have your chest up, shoulders back, head up. Like you are in control of your body language. And the more time you spend like this, the less powerful you feel. So if you're feeling anxious or overwhelmed, just remind yourself, big body language. Okay, now you're in this position. And then the next step would be a breath, like Sam said, right? You just take a deep breath into your nose, out through your mouth. If you have time for box breathing, do that. If you just have time for a couple breaths, 
And then the last part of it is some self-talk. So the, when you exhale, say something kind to yourself about the situation. If you're about to walk into a presentation that you're feeling a little nervous about, all you have to do is say, you're not saying something wildly untrue, like I'm the greatest speaker on earth and I'm gonna go fucking nail this. No, all you have to say to yourself is like something true, something credible, like I prepared for this, I'm, I'm ready. Like you did. If you didn't prepare for it, then that's a whole different conversation because the way to enhance your confidence is to be undefeated in your preparation. But if you actually did prepare, now if, you're, if you didn't prepare and you're feeling nervous, there's not a lot you can do in that moment. Like you should have done your preparatory work. So then you're just gonna have to walk in there and try to wing it and maybe that's how you work. But that's your three-step approach is remind yourself of your big body language, chest up, shoulders back like someone's pulling a string on your head. Take a big deep breath in through the nose, out through the mouth. And as you exhale, say something kind to yourself about the moment that's real incredible. I usually say, bring it on. Cause I feel like whenever I get overwhelmed or anxious or something's happening, I'm about to step into something that I care about. So I'm saying, bring it on. On the baseball field, it works great, bring it on. It's like, you're accepting the challenge. I'm accepting that this is gonna be hard, but I'm going after it anyways. And so that three-step approach of flipping the switch has worked really well for me in terms of when I feel a lack of focus or overwhelmed or when I need to refocus right, to release some energy, or just when I've been sitting at my desk for too long and I just need to move around and do some jumping jacks and then sort of flip the switch back into getting in the zone. So it can work for anyone, athletes, moms, business people. Try it, really try it, like actual in real time, like give yourself your best effort. And then you can use it as much as possible. It doesn't always have to be when you're feeling bad. It could just be like, oh, it's been an hour, here we go. And you're back in it. So, and it takes like eight seconds and you don't have to close your eyes, but cause you know, I don't know if maybe you're in like a cubicle and you want people to think like you're a weirdo, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's really helpful for me. And so something that I teach all of my athletes. I don't know if we've talked about like the, the saying before you do something, but I, I do have one. So it's weird that that's part of your process. Cause I do something similar like before giving like a presentation or something kind of running through my notes, like you do like your final walkthrough of trying to hit every point that you were trying to hit mm -hmm. and then kind of just waiting for the crowd to fill in. And that's when the, the overwhelmed, not necessarily overwhelmed, but the anticipation starts to build on you. Yeah. And you start to, I start to get it a little bit and I'm like, okay, just I've prepared. I'm good take my key, couple deep breaths. And then when like the person that you're waiting for to present to, like the whole meeting's waiting on them, mm -hmm. they're gonna be the last one in or everybody beats the boss to the meeting. That's kind of a, a good rule to follow. And then I'll look at whoever I'm presenting with and be like, all right, let's kick it in the ass. Mm. That's then, exactly it. Let's bring it on. Then it's game time. You just go for it. You go for it. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Great. Um, anything else? Last minute? Thoughts, questions, concerns, comments, anecdotes, funny stories, words of wisdom, even though we gave about an hour's worth of wisdom. You and I talked about this, I think in October when I was last here, about like some of the, some of the goals that I've kind of set for myself over the next eight, nine months. Mm -hmm. Advice you would give to somebody who is bad about remembering to eat I've done the, the meal prep stuff. I get sick of the meal by like day three. 
any tips or tricks? Um, yeah, whatever piece of technology you use most often, just put a reminder on there and have it pop up every time you need to eat. So set like an alarm. Yep. And whether your food is made or not, you can, you still have enough time to order something quickly, pop something in or make something. But like, I do the same thing. Like I'll work from like six in the morning till fucking noon and I'll be like, oh shit. Yeah. All I've had is coffee. <laughs> you know um sometimes i feel fine because i'm in like a mad flow and i'm just like cruising yeah and sometimes you don't want to break that flow and that's okay but you got to get your meals in in the back half of the day at least to have your protein intake and your calories right but for me like it I, i'm i'm very schedule oriented so things are blocked off in time so i can manage manage my energy really well so i haven't done this yet but i need to I might take my own advice here, put some reminders that just pop up saying, hey, remember to eat, remember to drink some water, like take a 10 minute break. Um, I used to do, uh, I don't know why I got away from this, but put 11 minutes on a timer and it would, and every 11 minutes I would get up and do 10 jumping jacks and then get back to work. Interesting. How... Did what did you feel when you were doing that? Was it like a boost in productivity, like initially, yeah. and then it kind of faded, and that's why you? It just like it just like kept me uh, in the zone longer. Um, and then every ninety minutes, I would take a fifteen minute break. So it'd be every eleven minutes, some jumping jacks, us to move around very quick, take me like you know ten seconds. Yeah. And then every ninety minutes, I would take a ten minute break. So if I can get back in that routine. Lately, I just had a lot to do and I didn't want to really stop after 90 minutes. So I've just been moving and grooving. But um, once I get things like a little more solidified in the back half of this year, I'll probably end up doing that again. But that's some stuff that's worked for me in the past. Maybe potentially you could use that in a way to <clears throat> remind yourself to eat some food. Yeah, it's, it's always been a problem, yeah. especially early on when you're dealing with a lot of stuff, new stuff that's about to be coming up, like, have a really bad habit of just getting sucked into the work mm -hmm. and not eating yeah, and fading away and losing 15 pounds <laughs> being like, what has happened to me? Yeah. You got to eat, got to eat, got to stay, got to stay jacked, you know? I think you got to get jacked before you can stay jacked, but I, we're, we're working on it. Yeah. Work in progress. That's right. That's right. Got to look good for the wedding. Yeah. I'm not sure if we'll be able to uh, film that weekend. I think you'll be a little busy. We could, though, if you come in a couple days early. We could definitely do it. Um, yeah, I'll be a little busy, but I can mix in an hour. To, uh, maybe we'll just get uh, my whole groomsman on one episode. And we can watch that Scott sweat again. <laughs> um, anyways, that would maybe, be a nice little callback to episode one. Maybe we'll do that. Like, I think we can do that. Like The, the Sunday as we're getting ready, because we're going to have to get ready early, and then we'll have time to relax. Yeah. And I think it would also be a cool shot for the video guy. Yeah. Who's going to be there and the photographer. And then I'll just have my camera stuff and we'll just like shoot the shit for like a little bit. Just maybe, maybe we can do that because the roast of Aaron will not be videotaped as it shouldn't or um, put out to anyone. But maybe, we can, maybe we can do like a, a smaller, less X-rated version. Um, or just like share stories of each other or like favorite moments or something that's like cool because at that point we're probably close to episode 
you know, 300 or something. So I, I think that would be fun. Now, the question is, do we tell Scott now? We got to get him prepped. Or do we just watch him crumble no, under no, no, pressure no, no, no. again? <laughs> There's going to be too many people now watching and oh, listening okay. that I can't set him like, up for failure. Before, like, it was like my mom and someone else. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> so anyways, yeah, so that's what we'll do. That's good. Good idea. I'm glad you brought that up. We'll get that, put that in the works for September. Fuck yeah. Um, but also September is the month that Joel comes back on. He's every September. So... So you'll be, you're up by him by one. I'm up by one. So then he'll tie you in that episode and then you'll go ahead of him again in the, for the uh, groomsman episode. So we're great. We're rocking and rolling. But thanks, Sam. Thank you. I love you, man. Love you too, brother. Later. Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Sam Pack. What idea stood out to you the most? What idea resonated with you most deeply that you could implement into your life today, right now? And if you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review on Spotify, Apple, or even on Good Pods. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is by becoming a supporter via Patreon. So click the link in the show notes, scroll through all of the tiers and find out which one works best for you because Patreon directly supports me, this podcast and my mental health nonprofit called You Are Loved. So thank you for your support in advance. I really appreciate it. But most importantly, most importantly, above all else, please, please take good care of yourselves and others. And I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.